Welcome to Wild Women, hosted by Camille and Sarah. This is a podcast about mind, body, and pleasure, an honest talk on all things self-care. We discuss issues related to dating, fitness, beauty, mental health. We also discuss stuff about social issues, and we often have interviewees that come up and tell us a little bit about their businesses or their inspirations or motivations or just their journey through some type of recovery. For those of you who haven't listened to us before, this is our second season. Let's dive in. Welcome to Wild Woman. Today we have Katie and she is a self-love advocate. We actually met a really like a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. and I think it was on a discovery call or something like that. You were trying to help me figure out how to love my body more. I believe so. Yeah, I definitely know we spoke on the phone um, a few years ago and somehow like the internet brought us together. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm really grateful for it because I've been following you for the last couple of years and you've been doing so many amazing things. Yeah. Do you want to tell our listeners what you've been up to? Yes, for sure. I mean, um, forgive me if this is kind of all over the place because, you know, I feel like so much has happened in the past few years, but I think at the time that we met and connected, I was in a place in my life where I was really looking, I was looking for how I could start doing something that was very meaningful to me on my own. At the time I was like, I graduated college a few years prior and I was kind of trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to be doing. I felt like I wanted to be working for myself, but I didn't necessarily know how that would look. And so I kind of just started to explore the things that were important to me. And I think that around that time prior, I had launched a Facebook group called Take Care and Take Care, really the intention behind it was to create a space for people to come together. And at the time, it was particularly around things like like health, wellness, fitness, et cetera. But I wanted it to be completely weight neutral. Like I didn't want to talk about calories. I didn't want to talk about dieting or pounds or just like any of that kind of stuff. I didn't want any numbers. I just wanted to completely take weight out of the equation. And I can like dive deeper into kind of like my background. But like the short answer is that for most of my life, I was just told like I was so fixated on losing weight and I was told that I like had to lose weight in order to be so many different things, including healthy, happy, attractive, confident, et cetera. So I just wanted a space where we didn't talk about those things. Like I wanted to share parts of my life that had nothing to do with anything related to weight or size. And I think from there, it kind of grew into like, it's still today is, I mean, that was, that was a long time ago. I think I've had take care for about like oh my gosh, what year is it? I don't know, like four years or something. It's been a, it's been a while. And I, today it still exists. I'm like, unfortunately not as active in the group as I once was. Um, and I think it kind of serves as a place that's still completely weight neutral, where we talk about things like body confidence. We talk about our relationships with food. And I feel like tying that back into self-love and the way that we connected, like I just realized how intertwined those things were for me to have a loving and positive relationship with myself. It meant like having a positive relationship with my body. And for me, that meant taking weight and size off of the, like the ways that I measured my worth and like my value of myself. It meant having a peaceful relationship with food. It meant just like, there was so much that I dove into in terms of what self-love actually looked like, because I realized that it really did touch every single part of my life. Like the way that I felt about myself played a part in how I showed up in my relationships and my friendships and how I showed up at work and how I was like succeeding in my business and like, you know, just like every single area of my life. And I was like, this is really important. And this is something that like, I've realized how important this is to me. And I want to support other people in doing the same. So that was like years ago. And so since then, again, it's been an evolution, but short answer is I mentioned, I still have take care. I don't currently do that work anymore. I do have my own podcast called Peach Please, where I speak to members of the plus size community. And we talk about our stories and experiences being plus size um, in all different, you know, lenses, all different backgrounds, identities, et cetera. Um, That's been really cool for me. Yeah. And so I really like being involved in the plus size community and supporting as much 
as much around size representation and body diversity as I possibly can, while also maintaining, continuing to maintain the like weight neutrality and the principles that really started in take care. Those are still super important to me. And those are still important principles that I think are really woven into other conversations around like throughout the plus size community throughout, you know, like I said, talking about size representation and body diversity. So I know that was kind of all over the place, but <laughs> I feel like here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a good answer. And if I'm not mistaken, you worked with holding company as well, right? I did. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So that was such a great experience. I worked for a plus size clothing company and at the time, so I was working for myself and I was really like trying to get the hang of entrepreneurship and a couple years in, I connected with somebody, this woman who was also a part of the plus size community. And we had met through like, um, I'm in the San Francisco Bay area and there's like a local group out here that does four plus size people in the area that does meetups and stuff like that. So we had met through that group. And so we are both pretty like actively involved in the plus size community. And she's like, listen, I have this idea. This is, I want to do this for the, for the community. I want to create clothing and product that actually fits that goes up to a size six X and really want to do something different. And so um, she approached me about coming to work for them. So I ended up going to work for the company and let me see. So I started as employee number three. It was my first time working for a startup. Like I said, I just come out of entrepreneurship and what was really great is like I said, being able to offer clothing options that go up to a six X, because I think that so often clothing companies and fashion companies, they like, they, I think that the, the idea of being inclusive and being like offering plus sizes and extended sizes is so like, it's such a buzzword right now, or it's such yeah. like a popular thing to want to do. So companies are like, oh, we should do this. And the reality is though, that like, there are a lot of people who go beyond just like a two X or a three X or a size 22, 24, which is what most of these like plus size companies go up to. A lot of them only go up to, you know, like a size two X or a size 20 as well. And so being a part of a company, the company was called part and parcel being a part of part and parcel that went up to a size six X, a size 36, um, was really incredible to be able to like be behind a company that was like really working to be inclusive. And, you know, the team, we were a small and mighty team. Most of us, I don't know, like 75% of us were all plus size women. So we all really understood the customer and understood this experience. And it was just really great. And it felt really great to be able to, like I said, kind of combine these different interests and passions that I had, like from prior work experience to being really dedicated to the plus size community as a plus size woman myself. And it was really special. And we went on, I was there for a year and, um, we went on to launch the company. So when I started, we were in the progress of putting the company together. So we went on to launch the company. Um, we actually ended up starting a modeling agency, which was really cool, um, like of plus size women. And that was really special. And unfortunately in January of 2020, things happen as sometimes they do in like the business world. And unfortunately the company isn't around anymore. And so, you know, I was there a year and I would have like loved to continue to do that work for longer than that. But like, I guess life in the universe had other plans and was just like, we need to go in other directions. And yeah, so it was a really special year. It was really incredible. I met some really amazing people and felt really, like I said, just excited to be able to do that work. And I think that the podcast peach please is like my little way at this time to be able to continue to do, to be immersed and to want to support the plus size community. Mm. I do want to talk a little bit about like some of the things you learned from that experience mm -hmm. coming about the modeling world and the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a little bit about it already, like coming to basically it's not inclusive of mm -hmm. sizes and even disabilities, I would say. Mm -hmm. And what are the biggest takeaways that you took from that experience? Oh my gosh. So many takeaways in terms of like being in terms of like, uh, like plus size fashion or like fashion, the fashion industry for plus size people. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, well, I guess like, so having being plus size, like as I've been plus size pretty much my whole life or been considered plus size. And, you know, I have 
memories and stories of being um, a kid and having to, you know, not being able to fit into the same clothes as my friends or being able to shop at the same places. So I've been very used to having a hard time finding clothing. And so it wasn't necessarily surprising to me to come into that industry and learn just how little options there are for plus size people. Cause I knew, you know, like I knew that as a plus size mm-hmm. person. And so I think that what it really shed light on is a few things. It was interesting because I really understood how few plus size retailers they were, especially compared to how many we call in the industry, they're usually called straight size. So straight size is anything that's not plus size. So plus size is usually considered size 14 and above. And then straight size would be like size 12 and below. There's so many straight size options. And so, and there's so few plus size options. And like I said earlier, so many places that want to say like, we're for everybody, you know, they only go up to a certain size and the size like two, three X 22, 24. And that's not for everybody, you know, there are, and that's what is really challenging is like this ability to find clothing is like, there are people out there who like literally can't find clothes in their size or like, if they can, they have like one of like five options to choose from, you know? And then on top of that, you have to factor in like price, like how much money can people afford to make? And so I feel like working on all those different facets of, of product in terms of understanding, okay, we have like the size range, like this feels good for, for now, like to have to be inclusive in that sense. And also there are people above us at six X as well, who need clothing as well. So it felt like as inclusive as it was, it was just like, okay, for now, this is great. And also like, you know, thinking in the future, what can we continue to do to be as inclusive as possible? So the size range felt good. And then also it was like, okay, what about price? Because how do we make something that's quality while also being able to make a price point that's accessible while also being able to have a business that works, you know? And then, and also because we were a startup, you know, companies like, um, big companies, the one that came to my mind is Walmart. Do you guys have Walmart in Canada? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, you know, with Walmart, it's interesting because, you know, the clothes, like product there and clothing there is really, really cheap because they make so much of it. Like, um, we, I spoke to one of the women who was on our team had come from Walmart and she would talk to us about how, like, because they're able to produce and buy so many items of clothing, the quality of product there is pretty great. Like it's pretty like high end compared to, what you may shop, you know, elsewhere. So a company like ours, where we were small, we were a startup, we were just figuring stuff out, you know, in terms of price, it was interesting to see how that worked to say, okay, because we can only like, because we can only order so many pieces, we have to charge a little bit more because we're a smaller company, you know, because on one end as a customer, I think you have this customer experience of being like, well, I want this thing, but like price is a big thing for me. So, you know, you see it from one side as a customer, but then working on the back end for the actual company, you, all these other factors come into place and you're like, oh, okay. Like I see how this all works now. In addition, we were really dedicated to like wanting to offer the best fit as possible. And one of the, the ways that we did that was something called dimensional sizing. And so for example, I know for me, I've always struggled to find like jackets that fit my arms. And usually I'll have to size up in a jacket just to fit my arms because my arms are bigger. So we offered something called like bicep plus. So you could buy a blazer and you could get it in like a standard size, or you could get it in bicep plus, which meant that the bicep had a little bit of extra room in it. So you didn't have to go up a whole size, right? Or we did the same thing for like the bust, like in a button up shirt, like I'm wearing now for people with larger busts you could get bus plus. So it was a little bit larger just in that area. So it would actually button and the buttons wouldn't pull. So it was like, right. It's like the most genius thing ever. Um, we did that for boots as well. And we called it calf plus because like also trying to find boots when you have wide calves is very challenging, you know? So anyway, so we were like really thinking about things like that. So we had this really great feature dimensional sizing, which was awesome. And then, you know, like, I think that a lot of misconceptions in the plus size industry, when it comes to clothing are that, you just take, you take what you would make in a size small and you just make it a few sizes bigger. You just like grade it a few sizes larger. But the reality is that like 
bodies change a lot as they get bigger, you know, like people hold their weight in different areas. It's just, it's not going to work like that, you know? So it's like, you really have to keep the bodies of plus size people in mind when you're doing something like this. So it was really wanting to like figure out our fit and figure out the best way that we could do that. It was figuring out our style, you know, like it was like, what type of style do we want to offer? Like what's going to draw people in? Is it going to be really flashy, fun pieces? Is it going to be classic office workwear pieces? So there was so many different things happening. That was really interesting. Um, like I said, as somebody who had been a customer, obviously a plus size fashion for so long to then get to be on the other side of how everything worked. That's amazing. And I feel like a big misconception of that people might have is that if you're plus size, you can have anything in fashion and it has to be boring and, mm -hmm. you know, like blend in, mm -hmm. but I, that's not true. And I love your pictures for that because you're always so on point and I remember like when I was maybe like 12 or 13 all my like the cool stores like didn't have my size mm. because I was bigger back then I remember like the the size I was at it was the last size that they carried mm -hmm. and that was really scary growing up of like thinking okay well what am I going to do after this mm -hmm. yeah and it's like, if it doesn't fit, you don't have any other options, you know? And so like, I completely understand how, what that feeling's like of going into stores and not being able to find things that fit you or, you know, maybe like being able to try on the largest size. And if it doesn't work, it's not like you can just go up a size, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing like with fashion now, there's a big debate on like um, fast fashion, but that's another <laughs> issue. But I try to really like remind myself of that when I shop is it really like inclusive or not mm -hmm. and we've seen like a change of that with you know Victoria's Secret trying to remodel and mm -hmm. all of that it's sad how how long it takes for mm -hmm. those changes yeah. to come into play I agree yeah you're so right fast fashion is like a whole thing and it's like a whole thing and it is it is unfortunate you know and I think that like again, going back to being a plus size person who's been shopping plus sizes pretty much my whole life, plus size people are very jaded. Like we're very like used to people not caring about us and not wanting to like make things for us. So I think in one sense, it's, you have to be open to allowing people to like make changes in their decisions. And I know like, for example, some companies have had people within that company say really terrible things about people who are plus size, people who are trans, people who don't fit into this brand of what their company is trying to be, this image. And they make some changes in their, in their people internally and, you know, try to make some shifts that they hope will revive the company. I think Victoria's Secret is definitely one of those places. But like I said, you know, like we've been burned a lot and like we've been, we are, I think, tired, like very tired mm -hmm. of trying. And I think that when it comes to something like fashion, it's like, we are also people who want to be fashionable and want to be able to like express ourselves through our clothing and want to be able to have clothing options. I mean, like the bare minimum is to be able to have clothing to cover your body. But beyond that, you know, I think we are so deserving of options that are affordable options that are, you know, again, stylish that are quality, which is just like, it's happening more. It's like happening there is light there and there are changes being made and there's still so much that needs to be done. So yeah, I think that it's like, I'm trying to remember that people deserve other chances to be able to like do right. And also like, I'm still skeptical as I think a lot of the community is because of how things have been treated before. I mean, like plus size people aren't new, you know, like in America, almost 70% of women are plus size, you know, are over a size 14, like our size average is a size 16. And so it's like, we're not the, we're not a niche market. We're not a minority. Like we've been here and we've been waiting a long time. And it's kind of like, okay, now you want to come around and say, Hey, we've got options for you. We're doing this great thing for you. But it's like, we really have to see you walk that, that talk and really like show up for us. So lots of feelings around it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I mean they're all valid like it's pretty awful and not even just in the fashion industry but every industry basically and one thing that I want to like touch base on is a little bit about like the wellness community 
mm-hmm. and some of the bias that they have around weight and some of even if you're comfortable with it some of your own experiences with that yeah I definitely want to talk about that something that's popping into my head though that I don't want to forget is you mentioned being conscious of shopping inclusive companies and I just want to like shout you out for that because I think that that's huge and I think that that's something that people who are thin, who are straight size, that's like a huge part. I think of being an ally is being like the clothes that you wear and shop at and represent are clothes that everybody can fit in, you know? And realistically, I know that that's not always possible. I can think of like one company, maybe two companies right now that offer such a size range that like lots of different types of bodies can shop there. But I just want to shout you out for being so intentional about that. Cause I think that's so important wellness. Yes. Okay. So I, like I kind of mentioned before, take care started around wanting to provide a space that was focused on things like wellness, health and wellness, but again, taking the weight piece out of it, because I think that weight and size is so intertwined in health and wellness. I think a lot of diet culture is intertwined in health and wellness. I think a lot of wellness lifestyle changes. I'm like using air quotes as I'm saying this. I know you guys won't be able to see it, but a lot of those things are like coded language for diets and diet culture. I think that trigger warning, I'm going to mention uh, disordered eating, but I think that a lot of disordered eating habits are so normalized because they're so again, like involved in this wellness space and normalized in that wellness space. And I think that space is definitely a huge part of what for a very long time, a very long part of my life made me feel like if I wanted to be healthy, if I wanted to be happy and attractive, this is what my body had to look like. It had to be much smaller than it was. It had to be completely different. And I think in addition, these healthiest habits and behaviors, whatever you think of when it comes to wellness, whether it's certain foods that you're eating, supplements, like fitness classes, activewear, et cetera, like any of those things are also not very attainable to a lot of people. Like, I think that they're very, there's a certain level of people who are able to access those things. The, the feeling that I got my experience in being in that, in that community was like, oh, well, if you really care about yourself and your health, these are the things you have to do. And this is what it has to look like. But at the end of the day, it's like, again, that's not accessible for everybody. And you're saying that, you know, if you care about yourself and care about your health, these are what you have to do to be healthy. But there are people out there who will never be healthy because of things like chronic illness. You know, I feel like it's pretty messed up. I think that a huge part of realizing that was realizing how my own experience with disordered eating, how triggering it was to be in that kind of space. Because I, again, I saw like how much it overlapped in terms of the restriction, the limitations, the judgment, the shame the um, value that you put on food and then therefore the value you put on yourself when you consume that food. And then in addition, just this belief that your size is indicative of like, you can't be a certain size. You can't look a certain way. You can't have fat on your body and be able to have a place in this wellness space. And I think that I've seen these wellness spaces want to embrace things like body positivity and and self-love and self-acceptance up to a certain point. They're like, there's, there's exceptions there. It's like, well, you, we can take that, you know, up until a size like 10, or maybe if you have like a little bit of a stomach or, you know, like you have a little bit of jiggle, that's okay. But beyond that, like, oh no, no, that's still a problem. That's very concerning. So there's a lot of, I think, dangerous messaging and toxicity that can be involved in the wellness space. And there's so many like layers to that. So if you want me to elaborate on anything, let me know, but those are like my first thoughts. Oh, I'm sure we can elaborate on that for a while. Yes. Um, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that people don't realize is that this whole wellness and diet culture and all of it, basically the whole health concept is so ableist mm-hmm. and is it's rooted in like social oppression mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. yeah that's something I'm still like I completely agree with you and also there's still so much I know I need to learn about what that looks like I know I what I know is that we were kind of talking about it's like 
it's not accessible to everybody. I mean, there are people who live in food deserts who literally can't, the only food place they can get to is a gas station, you know? So how are you going to expect them to be able to juice their own fresh organic produce every single day or to be able to like people who are like, I have $5 to get myself and my family through today. So it's either I'm going to a fast food place. I'm going to like buy what I can from this or like we're not eating. So at that point, it's not an option for me. And then also that leads into all the other layers of you were talking about like systemic oppression. And especially here in America, I know like it must, I don't know how that looks like in Canada. Here in America, it's really terrible, you know, and there is definitely levels and layers to privilege into our class system. And like I said, it's really, really deep. And so I feel like so oftentimes the people who are saying, oh, you should be doing more or you're not doing it right. Or this is what this has to look like are the ones in the most privileged spaces who look at other people as like, oh, well, you're just not trying hard enough. And that couldn't be farther from the truth of what's possible and what's going on. Yeah, definitely. People don't understand what fat phobia is. Yes. And I basically always come back to, well, what are your ideas of what mm-hmm. that looks like being yeah. healthy? And we always, well, I say we as a society, obviously it's our individual responsibility to fight that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like we see someone in a bigger size and we automatically think, well, for example, like if they're eating takeout, like, oh my God, that's so unhealthy. Like they're mm-hmm. being lazy. They don't take care of themselves. That's like fat phobia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fat phobia. It's, it's so real just in the way that you described it, the way that we look at other people and we make those judgments of, you know, like, Oh, are you sure you want to be eating that? Or you should be working out and not even just against like people in larger bodies, but also like in fat phobia is being so terrified of gaining weight because Mm -hmm. you don't want to be fat because you don't want to be bigger because of what that means to you, because that means you're less attractive. That means, you know, and the reason is that people, people are so afraid of that because they know what's going to come from it. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be people who do look at them differently because our society does look at people in larger bodies in that type of way. And like the oppression that people in larger bodies face is so real. You know, it's like, we were talking about clothing. It's not being able to get healthcare. It's not being accepted into the same jobs. It's not having seats to sit at on, you know, airplanes or in restaurants or like, you know, it's just, it's everywhere. And Mm -hmm. so the idea of being in a larger body is so negative and it's so like, people have a lot of shame around, their body's getting bigger. And so I I can't get that big. I need to be careful, you know, and then that intertwines in the whole weight loss industry and dieting and whatnot. But yeah, I think that, and for myself as well, like how I'm unpacking my own internalized fat phobia as somebody who's been fat for, you know, a good portion of my life, the way that I the way that I respond to certain things as well, you know, like, I think that too, something that's coming to my mind is like the way that, and I want to put a little bit of a disclaimer. I sometimes use the, I will use the word fat and I don't use it in a way that's like at all negative or like I am, you know, trying to comfort anybody. I use fat in a very neutral way. And I feel like fat is one of those words that is very much being reclaimed. I also know it's a very personal word to people on my podcast. I always like to ask the guests, do you prefer the term plus size fat, something else? Because again, everybody, I think that just about every plus size or fat person I know has had somebody use the word fat as a weapon against them and mm-hmm. as, as a way to like call them ugly or to call them lazy or to call them gross or whatever it may be. So that's my little disclaimer. But again, like something that came to my mind was the way that fat people are portrayed in the media. And, you know, like so often we'll see shows and it's so often too, it's the shows that like are trying to be progressive, but they still miss the mark when it comes to yeah. people in their bodies, because the people in larger bodies, they're always the butt of the joke. They're always trying to lose weight. They're the best friend. They're the ones who are having a hard time dating, who hate themselves. They're clumsy. You know, there's all these stereotypes about fat people that are just reinforced by what we see all the time. And so I share that to say that I think that that really contributes to my own internalized fat fat phobia. When I look at people, I have to catch myself and realize, am I making a judgment against this person because of their size? And a lot of times that comes up for me when I look at men, like men in larger bodies, especially men that might be 
giving me a type of vibe or like my, I might have an interaction that doesn't feel good to me. I have to catch myself and ask myself, am I planting that seed about that vibe? Because this is a man who's also fat, you know, like trying to really separate that experience. So anyway, so it runs super deep. I don't think that many of us or any of us are exempt of it. Like I said, I think that people like fat people themselves have their own internalized fat phobia. So because of how involved it is in our society and just everywhere, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And whenever I tell people like what you just said is fat phobic, they get so upset and I'm like wait a second like you need to understand what that actually means and when you mentioned the tv shows I have so many examples in mind but one of my I guess favorite example which is kind of bad my favorite tv show growing up was Friends yes I was just thinking about Friends and you know how like they always show Monica when she was bigger and the thing is in tv shows well I mean in society in general they always expect the bigger person to be the one that overeats everything. Mm-hmm. What that? Yeah, exactly. They're the ones who they can't find a relationship because they're unattractive. They're always overeating. Yeah. Friends is a great friends is rewatching friends, you know, at a later point in life, I've realized how problematic it yeah, is. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Unfortunately, a lot of other shows are too. And like I said, I feel like when it comes to size and things like fat phobia and like size representation, it's still the thing that's missed. The mark is missed the most. And it's not just in media also. I mean, like, so now I actually work in tech and I feel like in so many of these corporations, you know, like diversity and inclusion is such a big, big pillar of what these tech companies are trying to do, especially within the last year and a half or so, you know, of like how much I feel like people are putting forth, like we need to have some type of diversity inclusion team or committee or whatnot. And so, and, but however, size and body diversity and size representation and fat phobia is still never included in this diversity inclusion. And it's such an important part of being inclusive because it's so important to be talking about the experiences of people of different races, of different cultures, of different sexual orientations, of different abilities. And also when you intersect those identities with size, that's a whole other thing. You know, like if we're talking about women or we're talking about black women, or we're talking about fat black women or fat black disabled women, there's really important experiences that people of those intersections are going to have. Mm-hmm. And if we're not including something like size into that conversation, we're missing so much of that. So I feel like it's it's just kind of, and I think the reason from my observation that it's all so often left out of that conversation is because it's still so widely accepted to hate fat people. And maybe you don't feel like you hate fat people, feel like, oh, you know, like I need to start being quote unquote good again with my diet or good again with the gym, or, you know, I put on some weight during quarantine. Now I'm trying to, I think the the biggest coded language is like being healthy. Like, I just really want to get my health back together, but it's always, almost always like a code word for I'm trying to lose weight, you know? And it's like, if you're trying to be healthy, be healthy, you know, there's, there's habits and behaviors we can do to do that it's not the same as losing weight, you know, like just because you lose a certain amount of weight doesn't mean your health is automatically going to get better. In fact, I would argue there's a lot of people who lose weight who are probably actually unhealthier because of what they do to lose that weight. You know, Mm -hmm. like if you're severely restricting your food, yeah. If you're like, if you're like severely restricting your food, if you're over-exercising, if you're taking dangerous supplements, you know, like those aren't benefiting your health, you know, but they might be changing your weight. Anyway, I'm like going off on so many tangents, but yeah, I completely agree. Media representation, friends, there are so many shows out there that are just like, oof. I know half of me is glad that now we have canceled culture because it means Mm -hmm. that we can actually speak up about those issues. Mm -hmm. And obviously canceled culture is, I don't think it's the answer for anything. Yeah. Um, because we do need to have the bigger conversation around those things and canceling isn't going to fix that. Yeah. But yeah, 
one thing too that popped into my mind is when it comes to even like finding a job, Sarah works in the restaurant industry and the number of times she tells me about how her managers like make comments about their body and how they should be eating or how they should be looking is disturbing. Yeah. I've built such a bubble for myself. I feel like when it comes to the people in my life, my most of my friends, my family members, we've definitely had conversations before. So I feel like they know, have a pretty good idea of like what I feel okay talking about and what mm-hmm. conversations I don't want to have and how I feel about certain things. And the people I follow on social media, like so much of this bubble is, was built so intentionally with the types of thinking and people that like align with myself and those type of things. And so sometimes like my friends and I will talk about it, about how, when you go outside of that bubble, it can be so jolting. It can be like, oh my gosh, wow, this is, we're still talking about this. Like, this is still a big thing. So anyway, I feel like it's so, it's so apparent and it's so affluent for as much as like body positivity, being on TikTok and being on social media and seeing how many people in different bodies are just showing up, being themselves, being their truest, most authentic self, like makes me so happy. And I see how many people are engaging with that and how many people are watching that. And also for as many people are doing that, there's still so many more people that are also still so heavily focused on the like transformations, the weight loss, the dieting. And so, and it is, like I said, like, I think a lot of people, they may not come out and say, oh, I think it looks better. Like thin people look better than fat people. And a lot of people think that. I think that also, again, a lot of people are like very, oh, this is about my health. You know, again, it comes back to health, but yeah, it's so prevalent in so many places. And especially when you are tuned into it, to trying to think differently and be differently when it comes to your body and when it comes to food and not talking that way and not talking about other people's bodies that way, it makes it so much easier to pick it up when other people are talking about it. You pick it up right away. It's like, oh my gosh, like it's, you're so sensitive to it, you know? Yeah. Because once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Once you have the clarity, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. It's so obvious. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about a little bit about your personal journey, recovering from an eating disorder, creating that safe bubble, learning to love your body, you know, food freedom, all of that. So how do you support other people going through that same thing? Yeah. um, That's a great question. So as I kind of like alluded to before, I been considered plus size pretty much all of my life. And I would consider my relationship with my body now pretty peaceful and positive and loving. It is a relationship. So it's not, there are ups and downs and there are good days and there are challenging days. That's how I would consider it now. And I have definitely not always considered it that way. I think for a long time, I didn't even know what a relationship with your body was or relationship with food was like those weren't, that wasn't in my vocabulary. I was about nine years old, the first time I set a goal to lose weight. And that was the first time that the, my world really started to bring my body to my attention. So like doctors, family members, teachers, people in my like environment were starting to tell me like, be careful about getting bigger. You don't want to get bigger. And because so many people were telling that to me, it was like, oh, this must be something I have to be like careful of, you know, I should try to lose weight. And I mean, this was before even puberty, you know, like before my body was was supposed to be changing. And why is a nine-year-old of all things so focused on losing weight of all the things a child could be worried about? And the more heartbreaking part is that that's so common. I am so far. I was around the same age as well when that happened to me. So many people I talk to are around that same age. And it's so heartbreaking that so many of us share that experience. So I think that from there, my whole fixation was lose weight, be skinny. Again, this is how I'm going to be healthy and happy and confident and attractive and successful in all the things. And I was diagnosed with my eating disorder in high school because it was just a result of, oh, well, my body's the thing I can control. The food is the thing I can control. This is how what I can do to achieve these things. And it just spiraled. And I was, I, I was aware that it was becoming a problem. So I like spoke out Mm. to my family about taking steps. And I am fortunate enough that I was able to go through some type of treatment for that and have access to that. And I think at the time though, honestly, I still feel like I'm recovering from that because like I said, I feel like my whole fixation with wanting to like be thin and have my body look a certain way 
and being at war with my body, I really didn't like start to come out of that until after college. And because moving out of high school into college and being on my own, living in a new city without my family there to be with me, I was in complete now control of the food that I was eating, when I was eating it, how I was working out. And so as much as I wasn't so restrictive and like not feeding myself the way, like my relationship with food and exercise was still so distorted, the binging and restricting, and then like exercising for hours every single day. And it was just awful. And it honestly wasn't until after college, probably like my early twenties where I was just tired. I was just so exhausted. And I think that at that point in my life, I kept coming back to this idea of wanting to be happy. I don't really know what type of job I want to have or where, what city I want to live in or what car I want to have. I just know I want to be happy with what, however my life plays out. And I knew that I was never going to be happy living my life that way, living my life in a way where the way that I was dieting, the way that I was restricting my food, the way that I viewed exercise, the way that I spoke to myself and I spoke to my body and like just the negative self-talk that I had about myself, it was all so toxic and terrible. And so I think that that sparked a curiosity that maybe there's another way to go about this. Like maybe I can do this differently. Maybe I can like try to find the Katie way of eating, like the way of eating that fits me the best, the way of moving that fits me the best. And so, I mean, that was years ago. That was like a very long time ago, it feels like. And like I said, it's a ongoing relationship, you know? And I think that some of the key parts to, I think that the biggest piece of that was that curiosity, was just being curious and open to something different, to a different way of a different relationship with food, um, to working out differently, to talking to accepting my body in a different way. I like finally got to a point where I was just like, this is my body. Like I only get one of them, you know? And I think there were so many pieces throughout that experience that were so transformative. And I think that a couple really stand out to me. One was there's an organization here in the Bay area called the body positive and they offer trainings like to professionals about their curriculum of living what they call a body positive life. And a lot of it is centered around healing from disordered eating and negative body image and whatnot. And I just had this like light bulb moment when I went through that training with them to become a licensed facilitator of their curriculum. My body has never been the issue. My whole life, I felt like my body is the issue and it's something I need to fix. It's never been the problem. Like the only problem has been whoever thought my body was a problem. Like that's the problem. It's never been me and my body. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. After that, I went home, I put on a bathing suit. I had my boyfriend at the time take a picture. I was just like, I'm so, I have so much clarity. Like, this is amazing. Another big thing for me was, again, we were talking about the bubbles, you know, that we create and the communities that we create for ourselves and finding as a plus size person, finding plus size community. And not only plus size community, because prior to that experience, I had had other plus size people in my life, not very many, but I had a few plus size friends, but we really bonded over hating ourselves and wanting to like be thinner and dieting and just so it was just so negative. And so being in a space of other people who were in peaceful and loving spaces with their bodies was also huge for me. And to be in a space with other plus size people who understood my experience and understood what it was like to exist in my body was so huge for me. So I think, again, surrounding yourself with people who are where you want to be and who are like, can understand where you're at and support you in that. And I know that right now, I know a lot of people like feel like COVID's over and like, it's really not over in a, in a lot of ways and for a lot of places. And so not people aren't necessarily able to start meeting up in person again, but I think something like social media, like I think social media can be such a double-edged sword. It can like really go both ways. If you understand the power that you have in who you follow and the content that you engage with, what you're consuming on social media platforms, I think that it can be, you, you can realize how much ability you have to shape that exposure of what you're exposed to. And I think that if you're following people who are in different bodies than you are, who are following people of like diverse races of different abilities of different ages, sexualities, body sizes, et cetera, that can be so supportive. I heard ones, it's like the most simple thing, but it makes so much sense that, you know, the best way to support you and having a positive body image and po positive relationship with your body 
is exposing yourself to different kinds of bodies yeah. because you realize that there's space for everybody and there's no one way to have a body. So I think those have been like probably the biggest things for me. In addition to the people you're surrounding yourself, the communities that you're involved with, those that's such a huge, important step. And those will lead to those like light bulb moments of shifting your perspective and shifting your awareness and just healing in general. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, social media is, can be dangerous, but it has some positive benefits to it. And for sure, like even for me, that was something that I found was really helpful is just expose myself to different kinds of bodies. Mm -hmm. And that just normalizes it and takes off so much pressure to look just Mm -hmm. one way. Yeah. And another thing too is reclaiming your power in some way. And you mentioned Mm -hmm. that with the word fat. And Mm -hmm. I, I would like to just go a little more into that. Uh, Because that's been something that's been going on for a little bit about how can we use those words that were used to hurt people Mm -hmm. in an actual positive or neutral way now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I think, like I said, you know, it's just, it's become a word that I think that more people in the fat community are reclaiming things like, like I said, calling yourself fat, calling the, the community, the fat community, um, fat positivity, fat activism, you know, all of those things really acknowledging that the way that I would say that I'm, you know, I have fair skin and I have blonde hair and I'm five, seven, they're, they're just neutral descriptive things is the same way that you might describe your body size of being fat, you know? And like I said, it's been a word that I think has been used in a very negative, hurtful way against so many of us. So understandably, there's a lot of people who aren't ready to be able to say that word. There's a lot of people who may never be there. And I think that, as you mentioned, power, once I realized that like, I can take the power back in this for myself and this word, and I can use it in a way that is, feels good to me. That was the biggest shift to me. Now, I do want to say, Again, it's a very personal thing. So I think that like, especially whether you are a fat person, whether you are not a fat person, don't just like go around calling people fat, you know, being like, I think that again, it's really important, especially if you're speaking to somebody who's plus size, who's in a larger body to feel out where they are for it. And so again, like as a plus size woman, as somebody who considers myself fat is definitely a spectrum in the fat community. So I'm consider myself and I am considered a small fat being a size like 16, sometimes a size 18, sometimes, I don't know. It's just with closing sizes, it's all over the place, but like I'm considered a small fat. And so as somebody who is somewhat in that space, it's still really important for me to not make the assumption that other people are. So I always like to check in with people. So just make sure that the biggest ways to be supportive, if you're not a fat person, or even if you are, is to make sure that how are you using that word? And I think like something that just popped in my mind is the way that we, I think are a lot of us are used to using the word fat. When you say like, I feel so fat today, what are you really saying? Are you saying I feel uncomfortable? Are you saying I feel bloated? Are you saying I feel something else? Because saying that like you feel fat, like fat is not a feeling like fat is like, again, it's a thing that people write. It's like a physical description. Yeah. So I think it's really like being mindful of the way that you're using those words. And a lot of times being aware that like, you're probably using that word in a way that is negative towards somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're probably trying to say like, I don't feel attractive or I don't feel, you know, great about myself right now. Taking the time to realize the way that you intertwined those terms, unattractive with fat, ugly with fat and where that comes from. I think that's really important. That's a really important part of understanding our own fat phobia. And then again, just being very mindful of like how that word, what relationships other people might have with that word and being respectful of where they're at with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most of the time, for me, at least it's more about calling people out on the way they use it because you see usually, I mean, it's, they use it as a descriptor, but you know, not in a good sense, you know, that's not a bad thing. You don't need to be afraid of that. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I'm so glad that you do call that out because it definitely needs to be called out. Especially, I think that a lot of times, I think that people who are not plus size, who are not fat, 
might use that word when they are around other people who are like thin or who aren't fat as well, because they feel like, oh, I can, I can drop this here. I can say this here. So I think that being able to being an ally as you, you are, and as you shared a huge part of that is being able to, is like calling that out when it happens, when there's not other fat people around Mm -hmm. letting them know like, yeah, that's not, we're not going to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's important even for my recovery Mm -hmm. and the fact that sometimes it can get so exhausting Mm -hmm. (laughs) to Mm -hmm. always have to like protect your own mental health Mm -hmm. and then to fight that at the same time. How, what are your ways to deal with that without getting like overwhelmed? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, honestly, it's such a day-to-day thing. I think that I have to be constantly check in with myself. And I think that in rebuilding my relationship with my body, I've rebuilt this connection to understand what it needs and where I'm at, not only physically, like how hungry I am, but also mentally and emotionally. And I think that like, it's been really interesting to see as I rebuild that connection with my body. I've also rebuilt that connection with my intuition, which Mm -hmm. has also been really supportive. And just like knowing myself better allows me to know things like my energy and where my energy's at and what's going to be supportive of my mental health and what's going to be not supportive. And taking it day by day means constantly checking in with myself and like asking myself what I need. And I've learned to be very non-judgmental about what those needs are. And sometimes I just feel like my battery is so low and my energy is so low that I just need to have no plans, whether it's for a weekend or it's for an afternoon or longer. I just need time to just be with myself. I think that in addition realizing what my triggers are, whether it's consuming content that is about dieting and weight loss, or I love to go on Pinterest. Like I love seeing the visuals and the outfits and sometimes also realizing that it's not beneficial to my mental health to be looking at like skinny people all day long, you know, like skinny people in outfits all day long. Like sometimes that's not helpful for me. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the more that I like rebuild my relationship with my body, the more I'm connecting with myself and the better I know myself to know what's going to be supportive. And I think that I just take it in those moments and know that I realize that like, I think it's easy for me to, to get stuck in these places. If I'm going to feel like this forever, like I'm feeling depleted or I'm feeling very anxious and feeling like I'm going to feel like this forever. But what I've realized is that this is temporary. And if I can give myself reminding myself that those feelings are temporary. And if I can give myself the rest, the time, that I need some water, a walk, some fresh air, whatever it may be is so supportive. And it's so helpful. And I think too, like when it comes to certain emotions that might come up as a result of where my mental health is at, I've realized how important it is to move through those emotions. And I think that for me, anxiety is definitely something I've, I've had my whole life. I think I'll probably have it forever. I think it's just who I am. And I think that It's just figuring out how to manage that anxiety. When I am feeling anxious, it's usually a result of some feeling or emotion or something that's being triggered. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it's so important for me to sit with it and to move through it. Because when I try to repress it or tell myself, why are you feeling this way? This is stupid. Or like, this is silly, or we don't have time for this. And I push it away. It just probably one of the worst things I can do for myself. And it also builds on top of itself. And that's what leads me to have panic attacks. And that's what leads me to really just start to spiral. So I think that it's, it can be so uncomfortable to sit with those feelings, but I think it's really, really important. And I think that whatever outlet feels important for or like most supportive to you, whether it's journaling, if it's working out, if it's talking to somebody, if it's being creative, you know, like doing a project or something, there's, there's definitely things that can be done. Maybe it's like dancing around, like that can be really fun too. But yeah, I think it's coming back to yourself and just like being able to sit with yourself and know that like, that might be uncomfortable sometimes. And there may be discomfort in sitting with yourself and being with yourself when you reconnect with yourself. But I think that once you can get past that, you can sit with a lot of things, including the challenging emotions that sometimes come up when it comes to our mental health. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes it's also a question of pick and choose your battles. Like yes. Sometimes you don't have the energy to argue with someone about yeah. your triggers and it's just better for yourself to just walk away from the situation. 
Yeah. I think that's really, really important too, especially when it comes to advocating for yourself, whether it's like with a family member or whether it's, it's on social media, again, you're not always going to have the energy to be able to like fight that fight. And as much as I want to be able to explain what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it and educate you on this situation. Like we don't always have the energy to do that. And sometimes, like you said, you have to, to pick that battle and say, all I have to give right now is like, I need to give to myself or I know that this is going to be a losing battle. So I need to just drop my sword and walk away, you know? Yeah. Cause some people are just not open at all. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is there's no there's no, not going to be any progress trying to persuade somebody who's not open to learn it. If somebody's like, Hey, I'd like to learn more and they they're open to it, then great. Let's have a discussion about it. But if they're just, I'm going to fight you on your perspective. And you're like, I'm going to fight you on your perspective. And you're just going at each other. It's not going to be, no one's going to get anywhere at all. Yeah. So what is a boss babe to you? Cause I saw that on your profile and I'm like, that's amazing. I love that term. Thank you. Okay. So a boss babe, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, the way I would have used that term years ago versus the way that I use it now is so different because I think that a lot of it has been kind of the term boss babe has been, has shifted a lot, um, in terms of what that looks like. But when I first heard that term, I didn't see anybody like me, or at least who was like my size, really like represented in that like boss babe space, you know, like I said, being an entrepreneur before, you know, being in these different entrepreneurial spaces, going to different events, there was very much one type of person. And I also recognize that if me, like a white blonde haired woman didn't feel like felt out of place, I can only imagine how other people in other bodies would feel, you know? And the reason I felt out of place was because of my size. But anyway, so to me, this idea of being a boss babe, I think is being authentically yourself and pursuing the things that feel really good to you, you know? And I think that it's saying like, these are the things that I want to achieve. These are the things that I want to make happen and going for them. I think it's not being afraid to take risks and to put yourself out there. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's like an energy, you know, it's just like an energy of this is what I want. And I don't necessarily care if other people agree or if other people are doing the same thing, I'm just going to go for it. And I think that that, when you can show up that way, it's more about taking action than like, what am I trying to say? It's like walking the walk, not necessarily talking the talk. So it's like, instead of saying you're going to do something, actually taking action and doing something that feels like very boss babe to me. I love that. It's really empowering. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Empowering for sure. Okay. So my last question is what is your favorite way to show love to your body, to take care of yourself? And when do you feel the most confident? Mm, That's such a great question. I feel the most confident when I'm being intentional with my thoughts and behaviors. I think that again, going back to how I've connected, like reconnected with my body and rebuilt this relationship. I mean, just like any other relationship, it's a daily thing and it requires daily effort and work and it's a lot. And it's also so worth it. And it's like so important. And so I think that for me, the best way that I like to show my body that love and support is by tuning into what it needs, whether it means it needs a nap, whether it needs some water, whether it needs some movement, you know, like whatever it is that it may need. And then also being very intentional about the way that I speak to it. Mm -hmm. It's really important for me. The first thing I do when I wake up is to tell myself that I love myself and to like, tell myself that I'm beautiful. And so the way that I've spoken to my body in the past has been so terrible and negative. And it's been really important to be able to be intentional about the way that I speak to it in a much more positive and loving way. And I think that that has been so important. And I remember when I first really started to try to make those shifts, like it felt so weird and uncomfortable to like tell myself you're beautiful and you're amazing and you're doing your best. And I'm so proud of you. And the really interesting thing was like the more I did that on purpose, like even though it felt weird at, at first, like the more it just became a habit to the point where Now, when I do something that's really hard or I do something that's really uncomfortable, my first reaction to myself is I'm so proud of you, you know, and just being there for myself in the way that I always wish that I could have been there for myself. It's really that reconnection. It's like thinking about the way that you'd want to be there for 
your best friend or somebody that you love so much? And then how can you be there for yourself that way? Like, what is the love that you show other people or the love that you wish people showed you? And then how can you like do that for yourself? If that makes sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. And I love everything about it. (laughs) Oh, thank you. So where can people find you? So I'm like, I'm not really working with clients anymore, but I love to connect and I'm happy to do so I'm with anybody who like wants to be friends. So, well, I know I mentioned my podcast. So Peach Please, it's on pretty much all podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. I am currently, as we're recording, it's like we're getting towards the end of summer, but I'm, uh, I have taken a little bit of a summer vacation from the podcast and I will be resuming episodes shortly, but um, I typically air episodes every Wednesday. And as I mentioned, really the intention of the podcast is to spotlight and amplify voices and experiences from within the plus size community. So I have a lot of fun over there and have some really, really incredible guests. And I'm also on Instagram. I'm pretty much all social platforms. My handle is at Katie is winning. It's just my first last name with is in between. And yeah, I'm on Instagram a little bit. I have to be honest, like social media has, I haven't been as invested like in probably the last couple of years, you know, it's just talking about mental health and energy. Like it can be depleting. So I love to be there to like connect with people, but I also am like trying to be trying to figure out the balance of how much I energy I can put into it and how much I can share. I've actually been having a lot of fun on TikTok lately. Like for the past couple of months, I've been sharing a lot of like outfit videos and like plus size style inspiration. Um, and my handle there is like at Katie is winning as well. So yeah. And otherwise, like, like I said, reach out, happy to make connections and be friends and, you know, say hi. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank Thank you you so much for coming on the podcast with me. Oh my gosh. Thank you. This has been great. I really love this conversation and thank you for making the space for me and for getting like being open to talk to me about all this. It's been fantastic. Oh, of course it's, literally my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.